that is my favorite part of every week. I don't know, have you ever need communion so bad? You just had one of those weeks and things didn't go the way that you had planned and then you didn't go the way that God had planned? <laughs> Am I the only one? And then you just need that communion, that reminder. God is so good. And today, the reason I had that great conviction is because I get to preach to you the hardest message because it's a place in Scripture and in the Sermon on the Mount, which has been used throughout time to really show us, and, and, and oftentimes I think preached uh, maybe incorrectly, um, just out of context, but uh, just shows us the high bar of righteousness that God has. And when you are confronted with the high bar of righteousness of God, and then you take a real look at yourself, I mean, just honest look at yourself, there are times that it gets a little depressing. But by the end of the day, I hope that you receive a lot of joy and a lot of hope as, as, we, go, uh, as we go through this series. And so I'm going to see if I get my notes. There we go. So here we have Jesus in us as fulfilling the law. Uh, last week, we, as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, and it's in uh, Matthew chapter 5, if you want to read along today, but it's, uh, we start with... Um, Jesus giving us the Beatitudes, and in that uh, we find that he wasn't the Messiah that the people thought that they were expecting, although he was the Messiah that they really were expecting, but not how they thought. And, and as he gives the Beatitudes, there's three keys, I think, to understanding the rest of his sermon that he gives us. And the first one is that, that his, the kingdom of God has got to be personal before it ever becomes public, before it's ever political. Right? We expect oftentimes that revival is going to be this big thing, and if we can, the powerful people would come into power, and powerful business people will come in and take over the corporations and, and good things, and we could just impose God's will on, on the people, and then we would see a change in people's hearts. And Jesus said, no, it's, it, he didn't come to, to slay the Romans from the outside and impose God's will. It started personal. And as it became personal, then we see the kingdom of God do something that no revolution has ever done. And after that, he also teaches us that it, the kingdom of God is, it has to do, that it, it, is, it is only, it comes by faith and faithfulness. That the kingdom of God is not my kingdom, it's not your kingdom, it's God's kingdom. And we have to trust his way that we're going to, it doesn't work the way that people would do things. This is God's kingdom, which is why we, we call this whole series the, the, the heaven's right side up kingdom. Like we, people, we get things upside down and backwards all the time. And, and so it's God's kingdom. It's going to operate different than we understand. And so it requires faith and it requires us to trust God and to do things that maybe not make sense just to me because it's his way, his kingdom, his righteousness that it's all about. And it doesn't just require faith and trusting those things, but it requires faithfulness, which means that we actually have to do what the king commands because the kingdom of God is where the king of God is king, and we obey him. And so it's bringing our lives into conformity to his will, but also that it's worth it. The kingdom of God brings about the greatest desires of all of our hearts, it is the highest of all things that we could ever live for. It, it gives the best of all possible promises and the best of all possible assurances. There is nothing more worthy to live for. And it's not just for this world, but the kingdom of God is eternal. So it's worth it. And then he came when he went on and he talked about the expectations then of this kingdom, that his people, the kingdom of God, have got to stay salty and have got to shine a light of truth. 
that we can't be a worldly people who have a, a, a laissez-faire claim for uh, faithfulness, that we're, we're part of God's kingdom, but I live as though I'm the king of my own life. I know what you want, God, but I'm going to do things my way. That's not how it's going to work. If you're going to be the kingdom of God, you've got to stay salty, or you might as well just be thrown out because you're worthless. And the kingdom of God shines the light of God's truth, not our truth. That's the point. It's not to put a lamp under a bushel and say, we've got this truth of God in Scripture. We have the Holy Spirit with us, but we're going to keep that to ourselves. No, the kingdom of God has got to be people who shine the light of truth, not just by what we say and the message we give, but by the lives we live. And that's what causes the world to take awe and, and take notice and say, this is a people that is not earthly explainable. And they praise our Heavenly Father. What a gift. But we got to stay salty. And we got to shine a lot of truth. And then last week, you joined us at the park, which was a lot of fun. We got to see how Jesus then begins this section where he came and he talked about he didn't come to abolish the law. Christianity is not some new religion. It's not some new thing that God has just concocted that he was going to do. Like he, he tried working through the Jewish people and that didn't work. And so he's got to do something new. That's not what it's about at all. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law. In fact, he said, not even one little jot or tittle would, would go away. If you tell somebody they don't have to, to, to fulfill the law, you'd be least in the kingdom of heaven. It's important that we, we understand that God's righteousness matters and that this is not a new kingdom that he's, oh, the law is bigger in me, so I won't. No. The kingdom of heaven is not a place that has a, a legislature and a court and that has all the people that have the lawyers up there all the time figuring out how it is that people can, can have some righteousness in the midst of the wickedness that is in us. We will be made righteous. That was the purpose of the law. It was not to keep us righteous, but that we would be made righteous, which is why Jesus talked about the old order and the new order. Right, The old order of things was the law was always this thing that, that was on the outside keeping us contained. But he, he, he referenced and he talks about it in the prophets, uh, the Old Testament, Jeremiah the 31, 31, where it said that God was going to bring a new way. He's going to have a new covenant in which God would write his laws on our very hearts. And this is what Jesus was declaring. And now in today's passages, which is a very long section of Scripture, Jesus begins to expand the law, blows up the balloon, fills it out so it does what it's supposed to do. This is the lawgiver coming to the people and said, you have misunderstood it. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, who especially the, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they knew what the law said so much. They were dedicated to the law so much, but like a cage. And so Jesus said, you have to have a righteousness that's greater than theirs. And now he begins to give an illustration. He expands it. Now, you need to have that context to understand this passage of Scripture. Right? Because in context, if you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. And that's a good thing. I find no fault in that. But look what Jesus goes on to say. But I say, if you're even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Oh, my. How many of us made it here to church this morning with all of those tourists on the road? <laughs> Not in danger of the fires of hell. That's a bad thing, right? 
Now, the old order, strict at killing. That's a good thing. We shouldn't have a society where people can just kill other people without there being consequences. That's not a place I want to live. And the good part is that with that law, just even being unfulfilled, it was so good that it did create a safer environment to live with. But the bad is that people still remain murderers on the inside. And God's kingdom, his citizens of God's kingdom, can't be murderous. It's not just that we won't kill somebody, it's that we never would. That's the point. Do you know the kingdom of God is not just that we're up there and you can have a nice stroll and whatever time of day it is up there in heaven and not worry about someone, you know, stabbing you in the back, is that you're not going to be cursed. We're not going to be calling each other's idiots. Can you imagine a society in which that won't even exist? See, that's the purpose of the law. The fulfillment of the law is not that we wouldn't be murderers, but the very root of murder would be stamped out within us completely. And of course, this is a very high standard, and I don't know anybody who has fulfilled this standard. And so Jesus begins to give us them some suggestions to say, well, that's impossible, Jesus. I mean, have you seen these idiots I live around? And so he gives us some suggestions about how we can begin to see this law being fulfilled in us. Look what he goes on to say. He says, so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person and then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Like this is a top priority. It says, if there's murder in your heart, deal with it while it's still in your heart. Right? Make reconciliation a top priority. What does this mean? That if you have someone who's mad at you and you've tried to reconcile and the best of your ability, they refuse to do that, then you have no place in God's kingdom that you can't go and worship. Because I've heard that preached before and I've had it taught in Bible studies and things, especially when I was in Bible school uh, and, and, and I was around other uh, you know, wide-eyed zealots like myself. And we proposed this and tried to practice it. Like, if you don't do this perfectly then you can't even go to church. Don't even try to go to church. God doesn't even want you there. That's such a bad idea. You see, that took this out of context. What is Jesus saying? It's, he fulfills the law. I don't. He fulfills the law in me. I don't. See, what he wants me to do is make is make conflict resolution a priority. He wants me to do is do the best of my ability to go out and to not cause rifts and anger and frustration. The best of my ability to go and to seek reconciliation. That's what he wants. He wants me to be faithful. That's all he wants from me. And sometimes that happens and sometimes it doesn't. But regardless, God accepts sinners like me. Thank God. But I know this, that as I pursue him, as I seek his kingdom and his righteousness above all else, God transforms me from the inside out. And the hardest step to reconciliation is the first one. It always is. Because I'm mad at that person for a reason. Or I'm afraid to resolve that conflict because I'm ashamed for a reason because I did something boneheaded. And I'm afraid how they're going to take it. The first step is always the hardest, but my brothers and sisters, Christ is with us. The Holy Spirit is with us. And the law of God then we take it from the outside and we put it here on the inside and he starts to change our hearts so we become people who cause less needless conflict. It's an amazing thing. But just in case we didn't get it, Jesus goes on and gives another example. 
says when you're on your way to court with your adversary, hearts and if Christians really, if we are dedicated to this type of of this reconciliation, this type of conflict resolution, this is something that is just who we are and we grow into that, we won't have murderers in the church. And guess what? That's a really good thing to shine into the world. He goes on, though, because oftentimes people murder each other over this next sin, which is adultery. And he says this, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's a hard one, right? It's the old order. God wants marital fidelity. He wants us to, to have affection that's pure and for our spouse. That's, that, and so in the past, you know, the good was that you didn't have affairs. What you did on the outside is what matters. But what happens on the inside, not a big deal. And so even though in society there was less adultery, that's not so true in our society, but in that society, less adultery, the people were still adulterous. It'd still be okay to ogle a woman and be like, fantasize, be like, well, I wish my wife was like that, or I wish my husband was like that, right? And, and so we still had this infidelity in our spirit. Aren't you glad to know when we get to heaven, we're not going to have this type of duality where on the inside we're just one way and on the outside we're kind of restricted? See, the kingdom of God, the citizens aren't adulterous people. Can the conformity with what you want? Can I bring my actions in conformity to his, his law, but not just, I'm not going to commit adultery because God says no, but God, make me a person that loves my spouse deeply. And here are things in my life that make me not, so I'm going to bring, I'm going to sacrifice it. I'm going to crucify those things. God, I'm going I'm to have you change me so that I won't be a person that looks at other people lustfully, that I, there is a person that I get to have desire for, and that's good. But my commitment is there. So I don't have to worry about poking out eyeballs or tying my hands and cutting them off. We have to make fidelity and righteousness a priority. And that's one thing that the church, unfortunately, in the Western world, has gotten away from to our great destruction. As we teach grace as we should, saved by grace through faith, kept by grace through faith, amen, right? It's encouragement. There is a path to life, but it leads through the death of your flesh. Well, one thing that divorce, or, or I'd say adultery, leads to is divorce. So he says, why not? Let's just talk about that, because that's a fun topic. He says, you have heard it says that a man can divorce his wife merely by giving her a written notice of divorce. Pretty easy. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she's been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Again, remember, Jesus is not giving us his exhaustive understanding of the laws of divorce and the purposes of divorce. God gave Moses the law of divorce in there, Jesus said, because people are wicked. Right? The law of divorce was there to protect people. The marriage was meant to be something that honors God. It shows the image of God. It's really important that a marriage is something that's healthy and good. Like that's why, as Christians, it's one of our top priorities. That's why a lot of the sexual laws and all of the, the things that we have as far as um, how families are structured, marriage is a really big deal because it represents the image of Christ and his church. It's a holy thing. And most of the time, two sinners get together, and they're like, okay, well, we're sinners, but we're going to grow more righteously together. We're going to work this out, and, and we're going to help each other grow more righteously. But sometimes you'll get a, a sinner who's up there who says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the bo marriage bonds as like a, a cage, 
in which I'm going to pummel you within it, and God won't let you out. And God said to Moses, because of the wickedness of people, I'm going to give you the law. You can, you can do divorce because marriage is not supposed to be abused like that. I don't want it to be abused like that. And so you have to give a certificate. It's, be, it's not a small thing. It's not a light thing. But also it protected the women in that era, that time. But also uh, it made it so it was something that was, uh, it wasn't easy, but it was helpful. But it, this law that God gave for divorce, and let's remember that God was divorced too. He divorced the northern ten tribes. Divorce is not a sin in itself, but it's a brokenness. And it always comes from the sin of others. It always comes from the sin of somebody. It's not a good thing. It's always bad. So God said, I'm going to give you this one way out in this case. You have somebody who's violating the marriage covenant. You do not have to stay in there to continue to be just be beaten in the bonds of holy matrimony. They're holy bonds. But people began to abuse the law. And they were like, I don't like you as much as I like her. So I'm going to divorce you. You don't make me as happy as I think I should be. So I'm going to divorce you. Living with you is keeping me from my dreams. And so I'm going to divorce you. You know, when I was married to you, I was a different person because I was younger, and now because of the miracle of time, I'm older, and I'm a different person, and you are too, because we're the only two humans in all of human history that's ever happened to, so I'm going to divorce you. You're sometimes difficult to live with because you get grumpy, and, and therefore, to help them become more righteous, stop focusing on me. God has you. God knows you. He loves you. He has you. Seek that reconciliation as best you can. And there's sometimes, yeah, sometimes there's a lot of infidelity. Sometimes there's abuse. Sometimes the marriage bonds are being abused, and that's where divorce is at. And it's law, and it's there, but it should be pretty sparing, right? So set our hearts on true, deep fidelity, selfless love. As we do that, it's amazing how God changes us. And you know, one of the reasons that we have problem with divorce is, is because it makes us to make an oath. In fact, there is no marriage without the vows, right? So he goes on with that. Because it's the vows that were broken that causes divorce, typically. So why not talk about those? So he says, you have heard it said that the ancestors, uh, you've heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. Uh, you must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, don't make any vows. Right? This is, there's a change there. The old order is that you have oaths, and those were there because people are liars. And so you needed something to kind of guard the fact that people are going to lie to you. So what they would say is, if I will do this bad thing, if I don't keep my word, then may God strike me dead. Now, if you say that, God very well may strike you dead. That's a dumb thing to say unless you keep your vow. So now you know that person has got an external or obligation. It's like having the mafia after you. If you tell the mafia, I'll do this, right? I promise you I'll do this, and then you don't do it, the mafia will come and kill you, right? That's how it happens. So you have this motivation to keep your word. God's not the mafia, though. We shouldn't put him in that place, right? So the good is when people gave vows, you're like, well, maybe I could trust you. But the bad is that the people were still deceivers. What, if you didn't give me an oath, you were just going to lie? Is that your excuse? Well, I didn't promise. I crossed my fingers. Here's the solution. Do not say by heaven because of God's throne. And do not say by the earth because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't even turn one hair on your white, on, one hair, white or black, 
That's the truth. Just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. Here's what he says. You don't need to take oaths. Christians shouldn't have to. The kingdom of God, there's not going to be contracts. Aren't you glad about that? Why? Because if I say it, it'll be true. That's that. There used to be a thing that said if someone's word is their bond, that's it. If you say it, it is the promise. See, only liars need oaths. So prioritize honesty. Not what you can get out of something, not how you can manipulate something. It's amazing. But this requires transformation. None of us can have the law fulfilled in us if we stay the way we are because we are lawbreakers. And so there's two lessons I want us to, to see that Jesus gives us of how we see that transformation. The first one is in there. If I click it again, maybe. Nope. If I click it again, maybe. Nope. If I click it again, maybe. Hey, Mike, would you click it again for me? <laughs> nope. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, just one slide was all like, there we go. Oh, no, back one. There we go. Our priorities shape us. See, Jesus talked about how do we fulfill the law. He didn't say to do anything. He said to prioritize things. We didn't let his priorities become our priorities. So it's the difference between doing good and becoming good, right? Focus on the right things, and God will make you the right person. See, in the past, they focused on what they couldn't do. I'm not going to murder somebody. Jesus said, focus on, on, on reconciliation. Focus on, on, on conflict resolution, right? Focus on, on caring for another person, right? Focus on, on uh, 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 the sanctity of the goodness of, of marriage and the purpose of it. Focus on, on truth and integrity. Focus on the right things. Make God's priorities your priorities, and the law will become fulfilled in you. It's not what you don't do, but it's what we prioritize that matters. Because what we prioritize is absolutely what we become. I gave you an example. For a time in my life, I prioritized the Denver Broncos a lot in my life. I had signs in my house, I had the hats, I had the shirts, and I still like watching occasionally. But I became a Bronco fan, part of my identity. And then I didn't because they started doing stuff I didn't like. So I stopped prioritizing it, and then it changed who I was. But can we prioritize Jesus? Can we be a follower of him? As we do that, we, we recognize the second thing is that prioritizing the kingdom of God and his righteousness is what we must prioritize. It's not just that what we prioritize is, is important, that we have to prioritize Jesus, his kingdom, and his righteousness above everything else. Not in exclusion to everything else, but above everything else. And as we put Christ as king and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Meditate on that. I've given you some weeks to memorize it. If you need a couple more weeks, it's on your connection card. You can take that memory verse thing. But when I say meditate, I don't just mean sitting in a corner going, hmm, right? What I want you to do is go through it and actually think of what it means. How does this apply? How are you doing this in your life? Can you take some time this week to do that? I think you'll find it be really clarifying and it helps us to clarify what we're prioritizing. And that then goes to the last thing is, uh, here, I'm going to ask you to, to prioritize righteousness in your life, right? To say, God, I'm going to put your kingdom and your righteousness above my wants and my desires. And if you're feeling convicted today on that, praise God. It means the Holy Spirit is working with you. Work alongside him. He wants to transform you from the inside out. He wants his law to become fulfilled in you. He wants to make you a true citizen of his kingdom. He wants to take you out of the cage so you're no longer living in confinement. He wants you to give you real freedom. So prioritize his righteousness and God will work with you. And you're going to see a whole different way of being and a whole different way of living. And it is great outside the cage. So prioritize righteousness.
The last thing in the series is to say, if, if you haven't been baptized yet, one of the things that we do is, is that we, we get to express our faith in baptism. And in that expression, we identify with Jesus in his death and burial and resurrection. In baptism, we get to have uh, not just the, the, the sins that Jesus paid for on the cross, but now we get to, to, to have them by faith. We recognize they're washed away forever. And you have a new spirit. That's an amazing thing. And yes, your body's still a little bit lousy, and, and that'll pass away in time, and you'll get a new one. But you have a new spirit. It's an amazing thing. And if you want to learn about the joy and, and the blessing and the depth and, and the power of, of baptism, why God invites us to this happy and wonderful and, and a little bit awkward occasion, join me next week. And I'd love to have you there. Of course, if you're here this morning and you haven't followed Jesus as your Lord and Savior yet, then what a better day to do it. Let me welcome you outside of religion. Religion ain't going to change you. It's going to cage you. It's going to make you a better person because it keeps you from doing the bad things that you've already done, but that's as good as it's going to go. Jesus changes you. There is a new order in which we follow him into, a transformation of the spirit from the inside out. And, and we, we accept that when we are saved by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And we express that faith and by believing us, trusting him and our, our repentance of turning towards him, our confession that's identifying with him and our baptism as being born again into him and our discipleship growing up a part of his kingdom. And if you need to take those first steps uh, into his kingdom, then don't leave this morning without talking to me. I would love to help you take those steps. Or if you think I'm scary, talk to Pastor Jesse. He's a lot nicer than I am. And we would love to help you take those steps and so you can begin this new life of transformation in Christ. Well, every one of us, I've given us something to do, right? So on your connection card, take those out, please. Write down what your next step is for your prayer requests. In a moment, we're going to take our offering. As the offering basket's passed, it, please uh, drop that in the basket along with your tithes and your gifts, all right? Let's, let's pray for you as you make these commitments. Heavenly Father, you're good. Everything you do is good, including, Father, your law, which seems so restrictive and so harsh at times. It, the law could even make us ugly because it, it, it kept us from doing what we wanted to do and became judgmental of other people who weren't as committed to restraining their evil as much as us. But, Father, you set us free. You opened the cage. You, you, you set us out of it. You want your law to be fulfilled in us, to change us. So, Father, today I pray for holy conviction that leads to righteous repentance. And, Father, also that leads to permanent and eternal and glorifying transformation. So Lord, give us courage today to follow you, to confess our sins, to turn to you, and to walk afresh and anew with a new kind of a commitment to your priorities. May your kingdom come in us and through us, your will be done. And so Father, uh, we pray that you would bless these commitments. We also pray that our tithes and our offerings, another way of centering our lives around you, that you would use these things to, to build your kingdom uh, in amongst us and through this community and even beyond for your glory. I pray all of this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.